As you're grabbing a seat, I'm going to encourage you to to pick up a Bible. If you don't have one with you, there should be one in the seats in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give that one to you today as our gift. We will, we'd love to give away copies of God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today. Uh, we are on a walk through uh, the Sermon on the Mount this year, uh, and we'll take uh, bits and pieces of it uh, throughout the year. Uh, but we uh, took a break and did our weird series uh, and just finish that up. And today we start a series called Loving the City. And so uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. While you're finding that, I want to just ask for you to pray with us. Uh, if you have been to Connection Church before, uh, you may have noticed uh, that we're beginning to fill up. And uh, this space, which has been a wonderful space for us, we knew would not last long term. In fact, uh, we knew that uh, we just believed that God was going to do a great deal here and that he's not nearly done. And so we've been looking for property and praying that God would give us guidance in that. And uh, I can't tell you all the details because it's not anywhere near done, but I believe in prayer and the power of prayer. And so I'm going to ask you just to trust uh, me that I can't tell you where it is, but there's a wonderful, exciting place that we are looking at right now. And, and I just want to ask that you would pray that God would give us that perfect spot. And if this is it, that the doors would all open. And if it's not, that he would close the doors and give us guidance. But if the place that we're looking at works out, it will be everything that we will need for many years to come. So we're really excited about it. And so you pray that God would give it to us cheap and it would be perfect for us. Yeah, I work for a Jewish carpenter. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it really just, you couldn't, I wish I could tell you where it is, but the deal's not anywhere near done. But uh, we walked through it this week, and I'm just excited to no end. But I believe that if God wants us to have it, that he will give it to us at just the right price, and it will work out just perfectly. And so I hope that I have news for you soon. But you just begin to pray because we believe that God has a great work for us to do in this city and we need a place to do that from. And so uh, you just be praying for that. Um, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uh, preaches this sermon uh, that we have been walking through, uh, pieces of it verse by verse. And today we're going to be talking about loving our enemies. But I've entitled this series, Loving the City, because this, these passages that we will look at over the next weeks will actually be encouraging you to not only just live for Jesus, not only choose to follow Jesus, but to love the city that you live in, to love your neighbor, to, to do more than is what expected. Because loving the city means looking different from the world. Loving the city means loving without strings, loving without expectations, loving without judgment, loving outside of the norm of what the world does. Because, in fact, Jesus will talk about this in this passage, even the world loves those who love them back. But when we as a church decide that we're going to love the city regardless of how they react, whether it's good or bad, whether they seek to repay us or they, they don't give us the time of day. That kind of love means you're, you're being willing to do what is not expected of you. 
nothing in return. Loving the city means more than just talking about it, but actually doing something about it. Can I just give you a picture into my own personal spiritual journey in church history? I've been a, 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 a part of many different churches in my lifetime. My dad's a pastor. I, I, I grew up going to church, but I've been a, lot of, a part of a lot of churches that just didn't get it. And they talked about it, and they talked about loving people. And yet when those people walked in the door, they weren't welcome. And, and, and they judged people. And, and if we can be honest, have we not all been there? Have we not all done the wrong thing? But one of the things that I, I love about what God's doing here is we are recreating what should have been happening all along in church life and saying, you know what? We're going to love the city. And, and even if they don't love us back, we're going to love them with the love of Jesus. Because studying God's Word is important. I mean, we believe in it. I encourage you every week to bring your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, we encourage you to take one home because studying God's Word is important. Theology is important. It's important for you to know what you believe and why you believe it. It's, it's important for you to gather together on Sunday. I, I, I love coming to church on Sunday morning. I, I tell you, every Saturday night as I go back over my sermon and I, I piece it all and the, put the last finishing touches on it, my heart I'm like a kid at Christmas because I love being here on Sunday morning and preaching to you. But I want you to know it's more than what happens in one hour on Sunday morning. It's more than just what will happen here. Because if we know what is right, we will fill our minds and our hearts with the goodness of God's word. And we allow our hearts to be changed by the power of the gospel and the good news that, that Jesus has changed our lives. We'll not hold that inside. We'll not try to contain it. We'll not try to quarantine it or corner it off in our hearts and give Jesus this safe place for him to live. But we'll let him overwhelm our lives and we'll begin to love the city. And as we walk the streets and as we share what Jesus has done for for us, then they will see that our lives have been changed and they'll want to have what we have had. And they'll know that there's a purpose that's in you and in me that is something different than what they see in anywhere other place in the world. That's why when we talk about loving the city, we're not just asking you to do it. We're asking you to do it with us because we're trying to be an example of what it means to do the unexpected and live differently. Look with me in Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 43. Jesus said this. Uh, in my Bible is in red. If it's in red, it means Jesus said it. Beginning in verse 43, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what re reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In verse 43, Jesus begins by saying he, he essentially slams the religious community of that day. He said, you have heard it said. Now, be careful. He didn't say you have seen it written. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that you are to hate your enemy. It doesn't say that you're supposed to hate. In fact, when I do my study, where I, where I find the word hate used is against sin and very rarely in any other place. 
Okay? Jesus said that we are to love our neighbor, but he said we're even to love our enemies. So God says that, that it's going to go outside of your normal mindset. Man's religion had messed up what God had put in place, and there had become a religious standard in that day that Jesus came to, to push away. He said, not only love your neighbor, but love your enemy. Now, can we just be honest in here? Loving your enemy? I mean, come on, be real. I mean, Jesus, what, what do you, I mean, if you're going to edit the Bible, would that not be a section you would take out? I mean, would that not be a place where you kind of go, you know, God, I think maybe you got this wrong, loving my neighbor, that's pretty easy, but loving my enemy, I mean, are you, have you lost it? But we'll get to that in just a minute. But God, God wants us to do what is outside of the norm. Loving our neighbor is easy, but God says to love our enemy. Because our, our nature, what's kind of our default is to repay with evil. But if you remember where, in fact, Jason preached on this a few weeks ago, if you remember just a few verses back in this same sermon, it says that do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, then to what? Turn the other one. Oh, man, come on, God. Really, give me a break. You mean I got, I got, to, I got to turn the other cheek? And he says if, if someone asks you to go one mile, then you should go two. You see, what God is wanting to do in your life and in our life is to change the, the pattern of who we are. He, he wants us to be different than what we, what we were because there's a spiritual tension that Jesus has given here that he, what we want to do and what he wants us to do has us in a tension because we're constantly at battle because does anybody in here have problem hating their enemy? I mean, we got that down pretty good, right? I mean, if I punch you in the nose, you're not going to have any problem hating me, right? I mean, if, if I talk bad about you and put your name down, your nature is to react in that way of hatred. But remember what we said about loving the city? Loving the city means doing what is unexpected. So if the world expects us to hate them in return, then we must do something different. One writer put it this way. We, as believers in Jesus... We don't take our cues from the world on how we treat others, but we take our cues from Jesus. We, we don't look to the world because the world will treat you well if you treat them well. But if you treat them evil, they will treat you evil. What, what did Jesus say? What did, he, what did he say to do? Look in verse 43. He says, excuse me, verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, I mean, at this point, I'm thinking maybe Jesus has been out in the sun too long. I mean, love your enemies, but then pray for the ones who are putting you down, who are taking your name and they're defiling you, who are saying things that are not true, who are trying at every opportunity to put you in a place where you do not want to be. God wants me to love those people. He wants me to pray for those people. It's totally against our nature to love one that's doing us wrong who's wishing us evil, to pray for one who has made it their life's goal to make us suffer, to pray for them. For this to be even possible, take something outside yourself. Would you not say? The Bible would say that it's a supernatural thing that happens. 
So if, if we're going to love our enemies, if we're going to pray for those who persecute us, it's outside of my nature. It's outside of my ability. Now, let's just take a pause and let's look at what Paul said about who you are in Christ. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've, you've uh, asked Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior and your life has been changed by the power of the gospel, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, 17 says that you are a new creation in Christ that you are not the same. So you can look at your old self and say, you know what? My old self could not do this, but because of the power of God at work in my life, I am a new creation, and that would allow me to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. How about Romans chapter 12 where Paul says that there is a transformation that goes on that begins at your place when you ask Jesus into your heart. You begin a transformation to become not more like you, but more like Jesus. You see, if, if those supernatural times do not come, there is no possible way. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says that Christ will be in you and he is the hope of glory. What God is wanting to do in your life, what he is wanting to do in my life is what is not in your nature. What is not in your norm? What is out of your realm of ability? And so you can look at, at this passage and you can say, you know what, love your neighbor, that's hard enough, Okay. Because sometimes we get some neighbors that we don't really care for, okay? But loving my enemy, the only possible way for this to happen in my life is by a supernatural change within my heart, within my mind, within my life. If God doesn't do it, then I can't do it. He says to love them. Now, let, let, me, let me clarify this. He says that we are to love our enemies. He said you didn't, he didn't say you have to like them, Okay? There is a difference, right? Okay, I can love somebody with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and not really want to spend all my time with them, right? Okay, have you ever had, I mean, you, no names, okay? But have you got somebody that you know you have to love, but you're not going to like go on vacation with? Or even like go to dinner with maybe? Or, I mean, you, you can love them. You know, I grew up in, in Arkansas and Texas, and in Arkansas and Texas we had this phrase that we would say, bless your heart. You know what that means, translated? It means you're an idiot, okay? So if somebody says that to you, it is not a compliment, okay? Bless your heart means I can't stand to be around you and I can't wait to get out of your presence, okay? He said love your neighbor and love your enemies, but he didn't say I had to like them, okay? Because there's just some people. I mean, it's just like, you know, fingernails on the chalkboard. I mean, it just gets to you. But you do have to love them with the love of the Lord. And you do have to be willing to serve them, even if they are evil in return to you. And, and that just doesn't make sense in our own psyche. I mean, we just can't, I don't know about you, but I just can't process it. Why would God ask me to do that? Hang on to that thought because we're going to come back to it in just a minute. He says, love them because listen to what one writer said. He said, the process of loving our enemies will be transforming for you and for them. The more love you show, the more prayer you will need. The more prayers you pray, the more love you will show. So the process will change you. As you begin to pray for that person who you just cannot even stand to be in the same room with, as you begin to pray for them, God will begin to change their heart. And you will grow in your faith, and you will grow in your trust of Him, and you will see that God loves them as much as they, He loves me. I'll tell you, this happened in my life when I was early in my ministry career. I had, I had a pastor who uh, was over me, and everybody thinks that pastors are all nice, but I want you to know this guy was a jerk, okay? I mean, I'm just straight up. He was just a jerk. He was mean to me. Uh, he, he didn't speak to me for two months, and I'm like, 
dude, I, what, what's wrong? I mean, are you a freak or something? I mean, I don't understand what's going on. And, and, and he was just evil to me. And I called my dad and I was like, I'm quitting. I'm getting out of ministry. I'm going to like be a businessman or something. And my dad said, so how much time have you spent praying for him? Um, like praying that the tree would fall in his house or like uh, lightning from the sky or... No, how, how often have you prayed for him? Not very much. It humbled me. And so I began to pray. And I'll just be real honest with you in the beginning. I don't know that there's a lot of sincerity to it, but I was praying for him and not praying evil. I was praying good, okay? And I prayed, God, would you change his heart? He's a man of God called to lead your church. He's my pastor. And although we're not seeing eye to eye, and although I don't think he's treating me fairly, would you, would you bless him? And here's what I want you to know that happened. That man, in 30 days, went from being one of the most hateful men that I knew to being one of the lo- most loving men that I had ever met. The power of God was real. I'm not making that story up. It's real. It happened to me. And that guy's life changed. He came to me. I mean, I, I had been treating him the same way. I'd been trying to treat him good, even though I had evil in the back of my mind. I'd been trying to treat him good, and he came to me. He said, you know what? I've been, I've been a jerk to you, and I just want to tell you I'm sorry, and, and I'm trying to change my heart. His preaching even got better. So if you think my preaching stinks, then start praying for me, okay? <laughs> God, will, God will make it better, hopefully, right? Because when we begin to pray, it not only changes us, but it will change them. And in the process, we are both blessed. Now, that's a good ending to the story, but sometimes you can pray for someone who is evil against you and it may not turn out good. You may not have a good story, but you still need to pray for them. You still need to pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Listen to what, th- this is not just in the New Testament. Listen to what Proverbs says, the, the book of wisdom. Proverbs 25, 21 and 22 says, If your en- enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. You know what that means? We kind of take that heap burning coals of, of you know, fire on their head. That kind of sounds like that's what we want to happen to them. But what that means is this. If someone is being evil to you and you don't respond in the way that you, they think you will respond, it messes up their world. They don't get any pleasure from being evil to you. They don't get any reward from that. And it just freaks them out and they don't know what to do with them. I believe that's best translated is that it freaks their mind out. And they don't, they don't want to be evil to you because they don't get any pleasure out of it anymore. Look at verse 45. He says we, we do all of this. We, we love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. You know what that means? It means that when you begin to live like that, you, you begin to look more like Jesus. Ephesians says that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you're, you, you are adopted into the family of God. And this is saying that when you begin to act and you begin to live, and you begin to love, and you begin to serve like Jesus did, and you start looking like your heavenly Father. You start acting like Him, because He has given us the example of what to do. Here's the cool thing that I love about God, is that God doesn't ask us to do anything that He's not modeled for us. Listen to what one writer says. He says, Here our Lord tells us to love our enemies, because that is exactly what God does. Let that sink in for just a minute. 
He's asking us to love our enemies because that's what he does. Another writer said this, the real direction indicated in the law is love, rich and costly. It is extended over to the enemies as much as anyone else. Listen, God loves your enemies. God loves your enemies. He loves those who persecute you. The grace that you have been given has been given to them as well. And that he wants, to, he wants you to show them that love. You see, God did what was unexpected. He, he loved the city. He, he loved the world. Listen to what John chapter 1 says about when Jesus came. Listen, it says, Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus was there at creation. He created the whole world. And when he showed up to be the savior of the world, you know what they did? They hung him on a cross and killed him. (laughs) Let it sink in. God sent his one and only son to be the savior of the world and they crucified him. Did God's love change? No, (laughs) it didn't. God did the unexpected. He sent his best. Listen to John 3.16. I know you've heard this first. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. Why did God do that? Why did he send his best? Why did he send Jesus to the cross? Was it because we did something to deserve it? Have we lived such a life that Jesus, God said, you know what, they've been so good, I just need to send them a savior. Is it something that, that he was pressured to do by some outward motivation? Is, is it because we, we had in some way earned his love? Let, let me just lay it to you straight. There is nothing you could ever do to earn what God has done for you. And he didn't do it because he had to. He did it because he wanted to. John 3.16 is, is true because God decided, I love them more than they love me. I love them in spite of their mess. I love them in spite of their mistakes. I love them even though they will never be able on their own to measure up in any way to deserve what I am giving them. God did it because of his love for us. God's love is is true and it's just. Listen to the second half of verse 45. Because this is where I don't understand, okay? Because if I'm God, this, this is not how I'm doing business, okay? Look at the end of verse 45. It says, For God makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain to rain on the just and the unjust. I mean, if I'm God, it's lightning to the bad and blessings to the evil, right? I mean, that's how we, that's how we want to do it. Except, what about when I'm evil? He... <laughs> What about when I do wrong? What about when I don't measure up? You see, sometimes as Christians and as church people, we kind of get this holier-than-thou attitude, and we think, you know what, God, I deserve God's blessings. No, what you deserve is hell. So anything better than that is, is a plus, okay? What you deserve is punishment for your sin, and anything other than that is a blessing. You see, because what God did for us is he said, my grace, listen to this, my grace is available to all. My grace is available to all. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 uh, and following. It says, my grace, it's, it's sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
You know what rings out of that verse to me? Just, it just rings. My grace is sufficient for you. And my grace is sufficient for you. And my grace is sufficient for you and 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 for you. My grace is sufficient for you. You see, God doesn't have a limited amount of grace. It's not like he's going, well, you know, running out. Sorry, you, don't, you didn't make it. You didn't make the cut. It's only going to those people who really deserve it. You know what he says? My grace is sufficient to, for you. And my grace is sufficient for you. And, and it's sufficient for you. And there's enough. And I'm never going to run out. And then we listen to verse 45, and it says that my, the, the sunrise that you get to see in the morning, the beauty of God's earth, and, and South Dakota, I think, has the most beautiful sunrises. When you look, it's just amazing, and when you get to enjoy that, and when the rain comes, and it blesses you, and it blesses your, your life, and when you get spiritual blessings, and when you get financial blessings, when God gives that to you, it's a blessing. But you know what? He does the same thing for those who do evil. They can stand on the top of Lookout Mountain and see the beauty of God's earth. They can enjoy the, the rain that will come on the earth and bless their crops and will bless their business. God, God, he says in verse 45 that he blesses the just and the unjust. Why does he do that? Because his grace is sufficient for them. I don't understand it. You see, we, we say, you know what, God, we, we try to sound all humble and we say, oh God, we don't deserve your grace. But then we have to put it into the realm of understanding that Adolf Hitler, his grace was sufficient enough for him. If he would have accepted Christ, Jesus loved Adolf Hitler. There's a man who spent three years in the 80s in Cambodia, Cambodia who killed 2.5 million people named Pol Pot. And it was an evil, horrible man. You know what Jesus said to him? My grace is sufficient for you. Saddam Hussein, who, is, who was an evil man and, and who did many horrible things, my grace is sufficient for you. Charles Manson, who was a mass murderer, who, who killed people for no reason at all, my grace is sufficient for you. I can't comprehend that. Can you? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, there just seems to be some people who deserve hell, right? They deserve punishment. They, they deserve to be tortured and, and to die a horrible death. And God loves them as much as he loves you. <laughs> it's hard for me to process. It's hard for me to understand. He says that the, it rains on the just and the unjust. You see, the gospel is not just for those who think they deserve it because none of us deserve it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at verse 46. Because he says that if you just love the people who are lovely, then you're no different. In verses 46 and 47, he said, if you just if you do what is easy, then, then it, you're no different than anybody else. If, if you just do what, what uh, th those who are nice to you, if you're nice to them, pff, the world does that. In fact, uh, I would say most of the people in this room, just a generic idea, most of you are not Jewish, you're Gentiles, which means they're throwing us under the bus here. It says that the Gentiles... We do that, right? I mean, that's our heritage. Many, most of the people in this room, we come from that Gentile heritage, and they're saying, hey, even the tax collectors, even the people who cheat for a living, they are nice to the people who are nice to them. So if you're going to be different, if you're going to love the city, if you're going to be uh, acting a different way, you have to love those who will not love you back. 
And that's hard. That's hard. It's hard to do ministry as Connection Church and go help somebody and you're just hoping, you're just praying that they will see Jesus' love and they'll want to give their heart to Jesus and sometimes they don't. But you know what? That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is not to pick who gets to go to heaven or not. Our, our responsibility is not to make them respond. Our responsibility is to be the love of Christ in action in this world. And when we do that, you know what? God can use that. And it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it may be 10 years from now. Look at verse 48. He then throws in this verse, and he keeps using this word. <laughs> he says that when you do this, when you begin to look like this, when you begin to live like this, that you will be perfect like my heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but I rarely look in the mirror and think, perfect, perfect. Okay? I rarely look at my actions and think, perfect. I rarely look at my thought process and think, perfect. I rarely look at my heart and think, perfect. So let me put this into context. Perfect means to be transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a process. And so he says, hey, when you begin to live like this, when you begin to walk like this, that you will look different and you will begin that Romans 12 transformation that Paul talks about, that you're becoming more like Jesus and less like the world. And a little bit more today than you were yesterday. And, and you may take a step back, but you got to take two steps forward because, because listen, if, if you're going to be transformed by the power of God, he's going to do that work from the inside out. And there's going to be days when you fall and there's going to be days when you slip. But you've got to pick yourself up because if you're going to be like Jesus, then you've got to look like Jesus. The aim, listen to what Paul told Timothy. Timothy was a young guy who was trying to be like Jesus. Listen to what Paul told him. He said, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good, heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. You know what that takes? Daily discipline. You cannot be like Jesus just on Sunday. If you're going to love the city, it's going to take today and tomorrow and the next day and every day getting up and saying, you know what, God, I know I'm not perfect, but today I'm going to do my best to be like you. I'm going to try to love my city. I'm going to try to love the people who are around me. I'm going to try to be who you want me to be. Loving the city means loving Jesus more than anything else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your body, with all your future, with all your past, with all your goals, with all your dreams, with all your successes, with all your failures, with all your hopes, with all your purposes, with all your blessings, with everything that comes into your life. I'm going to love God in that moment. I'm going to love him every, every breath that I take. I'm also going to trust that he knows the best for my life that God knows the best. I'm going to love him with everything that I have and then I'm going to have to put my trust in him and say, God, I can't see the future, but I know you can and so I trust you. And whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to look for your will. I'm going to look for your wisdom. I'm going to look for your purposes. I'm going to look for your provision. I'm going to look for your plan because I know that your plans are the best. I have to trust you. And so when, when you love him with everything and you begin to trust him with everything, then when he says something like he does in verses 43 and 44, and he says, not only love your neighbor, 
but love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When it doesn't process up here and your brain is freaking out and the, the computer in your brain is, is kind of in a, in a glitch and it doesn't make sense and you're going, God, I don't understand. Love my enemies. Pray for those who persecute me. It doesn't make sense. How do I do that? You just say, you know what? I love God with everything that I have. I trust that his best is always best for me. And so today I have to obey what he says to do. And when you do that, you know what will happen? The best of your life you'll experience. Because God never messes up. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't go, oh, I forgot to put that in. He, he didn't say, oh, you, you know what? You're right, Doug. You should, we, that was a mistake. We just erased that. Love your enemies. What was I thinking? He doesn't do that. He knows exactly what he's doing. Because when I begin to love my enemies, they begin to see that something's different in me and that Jesus has changed my heart and that he can change their heart. Because please don't forget this. Jesus loves the whole world. Jesus loves the whole world. Don't forget that, that Jesus loves the whole world. He says, my grace is sufficient for you and 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 for you. But you know what? It's sufficient for them who are not here today. It's sufficient for those who, who are rejecting Jesus and say, I don't want to have anything to do with Christ. My grace is sufficient for them. I want to love them. I want them to find me. See, because when, we, when that settles in and we begin to live our life in that way, God not only changes us, but he can change the world that we live in. Would you pray with me? Every head bowed and every eye closed. My guess is today that this message may have touched your heart like it's touched mine and that I know that I do not measure up and I need a holy God to change my heart. So if you're here today and, and you have the struggle with loving your enemies, I'm just going to ask right now that you would begin to pray that God would change your heart. In fact, if you've got an enemy, and when I say enemy, a face, a name pops up, you know exactly who is on your list, pray for them right now. Just release it. Just pray their name silently in your seat. Pray for them. Heavenly Father, we need the power of your Holy Spirit in this place today. God, we, we, we need a supernatural change to happen in our lives. Lord, we, we don't have enough of us to love our enemies. God, that's just, that's hard. But Lord Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to be obedient to you. We, we want to trust you. So, Father, today, those names, every one of those names that have been mentioned in this room this morning, silently in hearts and minds, Lord, was, as those names uh, come into your ears today, God, would you love those people with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord, may the gospel be real to them. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will begin to change my heart that you'll begin to change the hearts of those in this room who know Jesus and who need to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. Lord, transform us. Lord, I pray today that your power will be alive in us. And Lord, that you will teach us as a church to love our city unconditionally, that we will follow your ways just as you gave us that example. Lord, we, we ask that would happen today in this place. 
Lord, I also pray this morning for those who might not know Jesus as their personal Savior. Lord, I I just believe under the sound of my voice today that there's someone in this room who says, you know what, Doug, you talk about Jesus, him being my personal Savior. I just don't know that. And God, if, if that's someone in this room, Lord, right now, this moment, would you help them right now, silently in their seat, to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you that the power and the message of the gospel has touched my heart today. I confess to you all of my sins and ask you to come into my heart to cleanse me and to set me free from the bondage of that sin. Lord, I ask you to change me and to transform my life to make me be more like you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried, and on the third day you rose again. God, I ask you to come and to be the Lord, the Master, the Savior of my heart.
be for you. We want it to be for the city. And so take the time and invite your friends.